You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. I pray and hope that you are encouraged you came to Easter this Easter weekend, and I pray that you're encouraged and hoping as well that God is going to speak directly to your life and that he will, he will impact you literally for uh, eternity. I can't change lives, you can't change lives, but he's in the business of changing lives. That's why we pray to him right now. So I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to pray. Jesus Christ, you said, Jesus, you said that you have come to set the captives free. Would you do that today? You, you set people free from what? From sin, from death, from Satan's grip. You say that you have come to give liberty to those who are oppressed. There are many here right now, they know they are oppressed. There are many here, Lord, who are very confused as to why they are oppressed. There are some here that don't realize how oppressed they actually are. For every person, Lord, I pray. You will shine your light into the darkness. I pray that the lies and the deceit of evil will cease. And I pray the truth and the light of the risen Savior will be heard as clear as ever. Father, you must do it, though. You have to do it. So gladly do I depend on you. I have nothing to offer in on myself, only what Jesus Christ has given to me, who he is within me as well. And now for your word, Lord, that you have written, containing the message of life itself. Speak, O Lord. I pray, I pray many, many are listening. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Two words right now, two words. This Jesus Two words from our passage that we're going to look at, look at this Easter weekend. Two words, this, so listen, this Jesus. Two words that refer to the greatest game changer in the history of the world. This Jesus speaks of the name above all names, the king above all kings, the Lord above all lords. This Jesus, he's so awesome that when you touch his robe, you are healed. This Jesus is so awesome, when you feel his touch, you are delivered. This Jesus, when you see his glory, truly, with eyes of faith, you are saved. This Jesus, no one like him, this Jesus is the bread of life. He's the living water. He's the door to heaven. This Jesus is the light of the world. This Jesus, those two words speak to the resurrection and the life. This Jesus is the reason and the only reason we gather here today in this church. This Jesus is the only one who can conquer death and grant eternal life. This Jesus. And we're going to see that phrase explicitly now in God's Word in Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts chapter 2. I commend you, I implore you, I invite you Find a Bible and open it to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in front of you, in the seat in front of you. And if you don't know where the book of Acts is, you can uh, ask along someone beside you to help you find there. I'll help you right now, though. The book of Acts is in the New Testament. So you find the Gospels in the New Testament. You should have heard of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The very next book after John is Acts. Now, why do we care so much about God's Word? Because we believe it's just that. It's God's Word. Word. We don't worship the pages in the Bible. We worship the Messiah who is revealed in the pages of the Bible because he is worthy of our praise. But God's word is the one tangible thing we can hold 
that God has given to us to steer us in the path of life. The Bible is massively important because it contains the truth that sets us free. Acts chapter 2, verse 22 is our text today. Let me start reading from there. Acts 2, verse 22. Peter says this, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. So who's saying this? Just what I said. The apostle Peter is saying this, saying these words. Where is he saying it? It's at Pentecost within Jerusalem. Why is he saying it? It's the first sermon ever given in the early church. Notice what Peter says here in this phrase, three life-changing words. He says, men, hear Jesus. Now that combination, when truly received by faith, has been granting people eternal life for 2,000 years, including today. Peter implores his listeners to do this, to stop, to hear, and to consider the truth. This is our chance today to do this right now. I mean, it's amazing how chaotic our world is. It's amazing how confused our world is. It's amazing how noisy our world is. But right now, we have the opportunity by the plan of God, no one's here by accident, to stop from the chaos, to look through the confusion, and to listen within the noise to the greatest message and story and truth ever given. Men, women, hear Jesus. So important, so incredible, so needed right now. And on that line of of how chaotic and busy and noisy and just how frantic we live our lives, let me ask you this question along those lines. How many plates are you spinning right now in your life? How many plates are you spinning in your life, right, and trying to go from one to the other. It's amazing how crazy we live life and ever fail to stop and say, wait, time out. Why am I even spinning these plates? Here's an illustration I saw this week I want to share with you. Look at this poor guy. Look at him. He's trying to spin plates. He's not doing so great. Let's go through some of the plates we spin in life. Let's start with the plate of work. Some of us are here right now, and the, and the plate of work we're spinning is all-consuming, taking over our entire lives. We are a slave to our jobs. Some of us self-induced, some of us seemingly have no choice. It's amazing how this can take us to the very end, all through life, all you've done is work, you get to the end, you die, and then you're like, then you've got to face the rest of eternity. There's the plate of family, a great plate, but it's amazing within family, the kids' activities, getting to music lessons, going to sports, running around, doing this, uh, idolizing our children, our whole lives are consumed with things that in one sense are good, but we're frantically living our lives for the sake of really them, but also ourselves. How about the plate of education, schooling? Good thing. It's amazing how it can cause us just to be so filled with stress and worry. How about the plate of leisure or hobbies or activities or the things we hope to get pleasure out of life? And, and again, running from one place to the next. How about the plate of social media? Facebook is its own plate by itself, all right? And it's just amazing. We're sitting there and we're trying to figure out how do, I, how do I change my image? How do I become more accepted? How do I get more information? We're going from one thing to the other. Just all these plates are spinning at the end. We're like, why am I doing that? That's the question you ask right now. Why? Why all these plates? And so many people don't have an answer. Ah, uh, because I, I just well, I, I feel better about myself. But why? Ah, uh, I, I can't answer that. You need to be able to. 
And this is why today is such an opportunity for every single person here. Some of you walked in here right now, man, you want to hear. Some of you walked in, you had no anticipation of actually listening. But by chance, the Holy Spirit of God, he might reach down into your heart and he might say, man, woman, hear, hear the chaos right now. Just, just feel the stillness. It's beautiful. And to cut through the noise of our chaotic, crazy world and to listen for the voice and to see the person of Jesus. I want to read the rest of our text, Acts chapter 2. We're going to see three verses here. Let me read it for us and then we'll begin to explain it. So Peter says this to the Jewish people he's preaching to. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works, wonders, and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus, there it is, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Why? Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So I want you to notice, at the center of our three verses today is the phrase, this Jesus, this Jesus. That's our servant title because that's everything. So there it is, there he is, this Jesus. Now I want you to notice this too. The phrase, this Jesus, is the hub of the wheel. It's the hub of the wheel. And coming out of the hub are four specific spokes. Each spoke comes from the hub and points back to the hub. The center is this Jesus. The four spokes are going to be four words directly from the life of Jesus explaining the story of creation, humanity, and redemption we're going to see. And every spoke goes back into Jesus because they all come from him. So this Jesus at the center... Four words we're going to unpack and explain from these verses. Here they are. The first word is attested. This Jesus attested to you. The next word is delivered. This Jesus delivered for you. The next one is crucified. This Jesus was crucified. The last one is raised. This Jesus was raised. Again, look here, look here. The hub is Jesus. The four spokes are attested, and we see delivered and crucified and raised. But they're all centering on Jesus Christ because all of life is centered on him. So let's begin then with the first word. This Jesus, listen, attested to you. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by God with mighty works, wonders, signs that God did through him in your midst. Now the word attested, what does attested mean? It means to show forth. This Jesus shown forth for you. It means to declare. This Jesus declared to you. It means to display. This Jesus displayed for you. Notice in verse 22, attested to you by God. So what are we learning here? God wanted to show his glory. God wanted to reveal his power. God wanted to declare his truth. How does God do that? He does it by sending his son. Hebrews 1 says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus has been attested to you and me by God. God sends a message. God sends his son. This is why the whole world centered on Jesus Christ. We'll see in a second. 
Because God wanted to save the world, he sends his son, Jesus Christ, attested to us. Now notice this, we have three verses, four times one word shows up. That word is God. Four times God shows up in three verses. Why is that significant? Here's why. Because every time, it's what God does through his son, Jesus Christ. Here's what we're going to see right now, okay? You can't have God without Jesus Christ, not the true God. And you can't have Jesus Christ, not the real Jesus Christ, apart from God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Notice in this text right here, look at verse 22 again. Let's look for the word God. It appears four times. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God. God is the one showing again the glory. Let's read on. With mighty works, wonders, and signs that God did through him in your midst. So notice this. Jesus isn't by himself. Jesus has God behind him every step of the way. In fact, this is God working through Jesus. The intimacy of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's empowering Jesus. Father, Son, Holy Spirit all together in the majestic design and sovereignty and beauty of our ingenious work of God over the heavens and the earth. Then notice it goes on, verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Why did Jesus come? By God. Jesus was given by God. Jesus was sent to die by God. God is behind him in everything. And then verse 24, the reason we celebrate today, God raised him up. See what's here? If you want God without Jesus, you do not want the God of the Bible. You do not want the true God. If you have the true God, you must have Jesus Christ. They are always together, God working through his son to save the world from sin. It's interesting, though, in our day when many people want to use the word God but to leave out Jesus Christ. But here we see emphatically again, if we're going to speak of the true God, he is 100% in relationship with his true son, Jesus Christ. But that is why on TV, so often on TV, you can hear the word God, and it's like, not really a big deal. Someone says God, you're like, well, what God are they talking about? You don't know. But then on TV, when you hear the word Jesus Christ mentioned in a, in a reverent way, and people like contort. It's like Jesus Christ is mentioned, all of a sudden, all, it gets kind of tense. All, all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, one of, one of those. Why is that true? Here's why. Because the spiritual realm, whether humanity understands it or not, man, the spiritual realm knows that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. The spiritual realm understands Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. The spiritual realm understands that only Jesus Christ, he holds the keys to death and Hades. Jesus Christ can take life. Jesus Christ can give life. Therefore, that's why the only permissible word about Jesus on TV is usually in the form of a swear word. Because the evil world rejoices when blasphemy is found about the name of Jesus Christ, the name above all names. It's amazing to me too, which for me, when Jesus is used as a swear word, for me, honestly, it's just further proof he is the true king. It's amazing how never people here walking around and using Muhammad as a swear word or Buddha as a swear word. That never happens, right? That would seem preposterous, but it's okay about Jesus because the enemy and the evil realm are so afraid again of the light and the love and the grace and the power found in Jesus Christ. Why? Because he has been attested to you by God. Back to our text here. 
Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst. So notice here, attested to you by God, God sent his son Jesus to show his glory, to proclaim his kingdom, attested to us by God. I love the phrase Jesus of Nazareth, even that. It, it really combines the humility of God and the glory of God. Jesus was born to a couple uh, from Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, but we would be raised in Nazareth. Mary and Joseph, they were a nobody couple. They were a peasant teenage couple. So insignificant. Jesus raised by them. Then Jesus was raised in, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was, was according to the people, Nazareth. The phrase in the Bible was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was like the dump town that no one wanted to live in, okay? So you decide in your mind right now, which, which city around us would you consider Dumpville, all right? Now don't say it out loud because you might offend your neighbor, all right, all right? And I'm not, I dare not say anything, okay, because I'll offend people for sure, all right? But you decide a place I never want to live, man. That's the pit. That's just, that's just trash over there, whatever, okay? That's Nazareth. Jesus was raised in a place where nobody wanted to be. He was raised to a couple that nobody knew. And yet, this Jesus of Nazareth, attested to you by God, being the Son of God, would do mighty works, signs, and miracles. I want to show you, maybe refresh you, maybe teach you for the first time. Here's a sample of the miracles that Jesus did while on earth. Just a sample. This is like a third of the miracles he did. First of all, his birth, his his virgin birth, the miraculous conception, the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary. He turned water into wine. Very, very impressive. He caused the blind to see multiple times. He speaks. He touches them. Uh, he heals the paralyzed. Rise up and walk. And instantly they are he- healed from decades of infirmity. He casts out demons multiple times. He has authority over everyone, everything. He restores a withered hand. I just love that miracle too because you have this withered hand and Jesus just says the word and all of a sudden it's fully restored. And you're watching this happen. Unbelievable. He feeds the 5,000 and the 4,000 just miraculously because he He's the author of all creation, the Lord of all the universe. He does whatever he wants. He says it. He is God. And the food keeps coming and coming and coming. He walks on water. I just, that, that, I love that one. All right. That is just awesome. All of us use that phrase where Jesus actually did it. He put a coin in a fish's mouth. And it wasn't like he took a coin and then he put in a fish's mouth and then backed off and said, hey, Peter, go find the fish. No, no, no. He caused the coin to appear just by speaking to be used that Peter would find awesome. Heals the ten lepers produces a miraculous catch of fish. Throw your net on the other side. But we fished all night and caught nothing. Do what I say. And they need two bowls to bring in all the fish. He curses the fig tree. He walks by and just says, a curse on the fig. Next day it comes and the whole tree is withered. He stills the storm. Love it. I love telling my kids this story. And the wind is howling and the waves were bellowing and the disciples were terrified and they're so afraid. And then Jesus wakes up and, Savior, save us. And he's like, oh, you have little faith. And he commands the wind and the waves and it just goes. And the disciples at that point are like. (laughs) Right? They're like, who is this man? Even the wind and the seas obey him. Amen. Because he's the Lord over all creation. He raises the dead more than once. Lazarus, come out. Awesome. And Lazarus walks out with his clothing still around him from burial. And there he is brought back to life. He restores Malchus' ear. That's when he's arrested. And Peter cuts off his ear. 
And there's Jesus. He takes it and just puts the ear and restores it fully, perfectly back. Now, I imagine like you're one of the soldiers there, like at that moment, and you're like, hmm, that was interesting. How, how did he do that? You know what I mean? It's like, kind of like wow. Like what's, and then, of course, his resurrection, the greatest miracle of all. While we gather today that he was dead, but death tried to hold him. Death could not hold him because at the end of the day, it was impossible, as our text says, for death to hold him because Jesus Christ has been attested to you by God. He is the Savior of the world. He is the Son of God. Is it any wonder then, okay? Is it any wonder? Just, just think. Some of you are in church for the first time in decades. Okay, just, but just, I just ask you to think for a second. Why is it then that Jesus Christ is by far the most influential person in the history of the world? I mean, no one can dispute that legitimately. No one. He has literally been changing lives for 2,000 years. He has been causing people, and you know it. You can try to ignore it. I'm not talking a couple hundred. I'm talking billions over the course of 2,000 years, billions of people are testifying that I have been radically transformed from the inside out. I am born again. I am alive. I'm going to heaven. And every single one of them truly saved carries a message of love, not hate. Carries a message of peace, not violence. Carries a message of grace, not division. Every single one is brought new in Jesus Christ. He is the most influential person to have ever lived. I never tire. I never have tired of saying what year it is. It is 2017 A.D., Anno Domini, the year of the Lord. You can try to change A.D., you can make it say something else. At the end of the day, the reality will never change. Our entire timing of our world is centered on one person, Jesus Christ, Jesus of now. No one ever will ever bolster that same equivalent. No one ever comes close. Second place to Jesus in history is so far behind. There's such a You go, why? Why? How can this be? No one can dispute this. Legitimately, no one can argue it. It's just fact. I'm telling you, God has put so much proof out there. There's so much proof for the person who wants to see. Jesus Christ has been attested to you by God. He sent his God's son. He's leaving an imprint, and he's not going away. He's not going away, man. He's changing lives across this earth today in the thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands as the gathering of millions and hundreds of millions for the name and the fame of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's been attested to you by God. When God wanted to reveal his glory, he sent his son. I'm, just, I'm asking you to stop and think long enough, at least consider the facts. Jesus Christ is who he said he is. And it's amazing to me that it only takes a smidge of faith to believe and then you will see. Hear the order. Hear the order. It's not see and believe. It's first I put my faith. He, he requires faith. And then when I believe, then I will see. This Jesus attested to you. Secondly, this Jesus, the hub is Jesus. The first spoke is attested. The second spoke now is delivered up for you. This Jesus delivered up for you. Look at verse 23. It says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Now, that one verse, do you hear what was said right there in verse 23? Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. 
that describes the history of redemption, the story of redemption, that, that one verse. Say, what do you mean by that? The moment sin entered into the Garden of Eden, the moment the first sin entered in, God begins to execute his plan to save his people, to redeem his people. When sin enters into Eden, Adam and Eve now are separated from God because God is holy and now they're sinful. They are banished from the garden. But at that moment, out of love, God begins his plan to restore his people back to himself. The plan is through his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins that we are forgiven, made perfect through Christ, and now are reconciled and restored back to him. See what's happening here though? This Jesus delivered for us by the very plan of God, right? So some of us come to church on Easter. Some of us come to church on Christmas too. Christmas is the incarnation. The incarnation is when God came to earth. Think about it. God sent his plan. His plan involves sending a son. That's why Christmas happened. Christmas is the sending of God's son. But he lived a perfect life Because only perfection could die for our sins, but the crucifixion is intimately tied to the incarnation, Christmas. Christmas, Good Friday, Easter, they're all part of the perfect, intimate, sovereign plan of God. And then one day soon, Jesus Christ will return for all those who love and believe in him. It's because God had a plan to deliver his son, a definite plan, and the foreknowledge of God. So don't you see what's happening here? Jesus is God's gift to you and me of salvation. Jesus, in the plan of God, is his love embodied in flesh to die for the sins of you and me because he loves you so much. So Easter then is not some random act of kindness. Easter is not some cosmic coincidence. No, God's plan from the beginning. God's plan of love. Listen, listen, John 3, 16. You might even know this verse. For God so loved the world, he gave, he delivered his only son. Whoever believes in him will not die, but will have everlasting or eternal life. So God had a plan, but make sure you understand this. It wasn't that God had a plan and Jesus was forced to to submit to it. It wasn't like God the Father said, okay, Jesus, you got to go down, you got to die. He's like, I don't want to die. No, no, you, you got to, it's, it's, it's my plan. Jesus going, he's like, no, 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 I, I don't want it. I send someone else. No, no, it wasn't like that at all. It's kind of like I'm a parent of four youngest children, right? And hey, son, can you go clean your room? Why? Uh, because I said so. How about that for a reason, all right? Fine. You know, like that. Well, what is that? That's not willful loving submission to me. That is a fine, I'll do it because your authority rightly over me and you've asked me to do it, fine, I'll do it. You have forced me to obey then. Jesus isn't doing that with the Father. Jesus willingly, and he loves you so much. He loves you so much. He gladly laid down his life to die for you and me that we might live. You want proof of this? John chapter 10 right here. Jesus says this. For this reason the Father loves me, because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. Laying down is I'm going to die. I'm going to die on a cross I'm going, to lay, I'm going to take it up again. I'm going to raise from the dead. Listen, no one takes it from me. This isn't the plan of man. This is the sovereign plan of God. He's like, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. Jesus gladly lays his life, gladly is delivered for you and me for our sin, that we might be healed and 
forgiven. What are we learning here in the Easter story? There's never a second when Jesus is not 100% in control. So this fires me up so much. When you go through the gospel accounts of the last week of Jesus' life, again, when he was crucified, I love the account, let's say, from John chapter 18. In John 18, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, and he's about to be betrayed by Judas. Judas shows up with the Roman guards, and the Roman guards show up, and Jesus steps forward, and he says, whom do you seek? Okay? And the Roman guards say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am he. Now, a number of years ago, I was watching this on the Gospel of John on the video, and that's like a a video description, word for word, of the Gospel of John. And when the guy says, Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus says, I am he, the Roman guard, a bunch of them step back, and a bunch of them fall to the ground. And I was like, what? And I looked at the Bible, I said, I to make sure, and sure enough, there it is, in John 18. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he, and they fall back to the ground. Okay, another one of these moments, you're one of the soldiers, you're like, hmm, that was also very interesting. Maybe I should be paying attention to what's happening here. They get themselves up, they stand up again, he's like, whom do you seek? And they say it again, Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, it just shows us there's never a time Jesus is not in control. Another example, Matthew 26. This is when, again, this is when the guards are coming to arrest him. Peter takes out his sword and cuts off Malchus's ear. Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, do you not think at any moment I could ask my father and he will send 12 legions of angels to help me and assist me? How big's a legion? Minimum 6,000. 12 legions? Minimum 72,000 angels. In the Old Testament, it records how an angel could wipe out 100,000 men. 72,000 angels would be enough to decimate the population within a thousand miles of that setting of the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, I don't need your little sword, man, right? <laughs> right? Bless Peter's heart. Hopefully I would have done something similar or whatever. I don't know, right? Who's in control? Jesus in control. Then in John 19, Jesus before Pilate. Pilate's the Roman governor. Jesus is being asked questions. He says nothing. Pilate says, do you not know I have the authority to release you or crucify you? And Jesus responds, you have no authority other than that which has been given to you from above. So in this moment, Jesus is bound Pilate thinks he's free, but the reality is the free man is Jesus Christ. Pilate is the one who is bound because Pilate has no choice under God's plan but to deliver his son, Jesus, the son of God, to be crucified that the sins of the world might be paid for. Amazing. There's never a moment that Jesus Christ is not 100% in control of everything he's doing. All that to say this, he willingly allowed himself to be delivered because he loves you and I so much. This Jesus attested to you, delivered up for you. Thirdly, this Jesus crucified by you. Crucified by you. Some of you might hear this point. You might say, whoa, whoa, slow down, pastor. I didn't kill anyone. I didn't crucify anyone. Uh, To that, I, I would respond, well, you're right, and you're wrong. Let's find out why together, okay? Verse 23 says, This Jesus you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Okay? So Peter, speaking to the Jewish religious leaders and others who did send Jesus to be crucified, they falsely accused him. They hated him. They insisted he die. 
by crucifixion at the hands of lawless or godless men. Who's that? The Romans. They insisted, crucify him, crucify him, that the Romans would kill him. There's little doubt the Jews killed Jesus. If you want further proof, look at Acts 2, verse 36. Same chapter, look at verse 36. Peter says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So the Jews killed Jesus in the hands of the Romans. However, what is essential to understanding the gospel, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, okay? To be saved from your sins and to be in heaven forever with Jesus. If you truly want to be saved, you cannot be saved apart from this knowledge right here. What is it? It's this. As much as we cry out against the injustice of the murder of Jesus, we must comprehend that it was our sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. He died because our sin put him there. The beautiful hymn, How Deep the Father's Love, I love it. It says it perfectly right here. I behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders, my anger, my lust, my greed, my pride, my hurtful words, my lack of love of God, my lack of love for others, my selfishness, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there. If you really got to understand the gospel, this, this cannot go by you. You have to understand what you need to be saved from. Your sin, my sin, put Jesus on the cross. Until it was accomplished, his dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. This is exactly why, listen, 600 years before Jesus was even on earth, the prophet Isaiah prophesied this verse in Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Mel Gibson. You're like, where are you going with this? Hopefully some are good. Mel Gibson, he made The Passion of Christ, that movie about 13, 14 years ago. Very, very popular, very controversial. I don't know where Mel Gibson is spiritually, theologically, whatever, but I know he got this right. When he made the movie The Passion of Christ, when it came down to putting the nails in the hands of Jesus, he wanted his hand to be the one doing it. His hand would show up on camera. Here's a picture of what it looked like right here. So the nail about to pierce the hand of Jesus, that's the hand of Mel Gibson. Why did he do this? Because symbolically he understood this. He knew ultimately his sin drove the nails into Jesus and put Jesus on the cross. He got that part right. If you and I get this right, we know the reason Jesus had to die was for your sin and mine. Like you might as well right now understand what the Bible's teaching us. You might as well grab that nail. You might as well grab it symbolically, metaphorically, and understand that we drove the nail into the hand of Jesus. He suffered this horrific death physically, but also spiritually, most importantly spiritually, the very wrath and punishment of God on our behalf because he loves us so much. See, this is why this Jesus crucified by you, crucified by me. We crucified him. Yeah, we didn't do it literally in the first century, but he died for us and he died because of us. That's why there's 
a young girl in our church who was recently saved, recently brought to faith in Jesus Christ. And this was her first Easter of being alive in Jesus. And so now she can see with a different way. She feels a different way. She's being told the Easter story again for the first time alive in Jesus. And all of a sudden it becomes an emotional thing. She's a young girl, tender girl, precious girl. But she's hearing the gospel and the suffering of Christ. And she becomes emotional about it. Why? Because all of a sudden when you're alive in Jesus Christ, it becomes very, very personal. You understand, I caused him to die. He died for my sin. He suffered in that way. It becomes very, very personal. But listen, when you don't have eyes of faith, you can show up to Easter weekend, year after year after year, and it's, you're just indifferent. You're just like, eh, I did that for 22 years of my life, man. Showing up to church, hearing the message, nothing changing. Ooh, what is it going to do? All this stuff, you just sit there and just leave and go back to the chaotic world, back to spinning your plates, doing your thing, nothing changes. But when you really see with eyes of faith, that your sin put Jesus Christ on the cross and he died for you, when you really see with faith, you cannot be indifferent. You cannot be indifferent because with eyes of faith, you see he is the difference. And when he's the difference, of course it's personal. He died for you because you and I needed a savior. The person who sees this is the person that says, there's no way I can be indifferent because he died so that I might live. This Jesus in the hub attested to you, delivered up for you, crucified by you, and now we see the fourth spoke from Jesus and towards Jesus is this, raised to free you. He was raised to free you. Look at verse 24. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible. This is such a good verse, okay? God raised him up from death, loosening the pangs. Pangs um, literally is birth pains. God released Jesus from the agony of death. God released Jesus from the grip of death. Why? Because the text says it was not possible for Jesus to be held by death. So what happens is the tomb that Jesus is placed in becomes a womb for the resurrection glory of Christ. The tomb he's placed in is the birthing of the resurrection glory and the resurrected body of Jesus Christ where he defeats death. The crucifixion is the payment for sin. The empty tomb is the receipt. It's the receipt that payment has been made. When Jesus is raised from the dead, death is now defeated. Death is defeated. Death is no more. Death has been conquered. All those on the team of Jesus also then are no longer subject to death. For the believer in Jesus Christ, when you die, it's actually the beginning of life. The number one fear across, human, across humanity is death. Number one fear. For, why? Why? Because inherently they know, man, there's something after. They try to convince themselves there isn't. They tell whatever they can. The hardness of heart. You know the number one reason people don't believe? It's because they love their sin. John 3 tells us, if they get near to the light, then their deeds will be exposed. If their deeds are exposed, their sinful deeds, they have to do something about it. If they can sit in the dark and let their sin be covered, then their consciences are seared. Then they say, there is no God. I'm God. Leave me alone. I live my life to death. And then what? I'm telling you, you are not here today by accident. There is no way. This is so clear. 
Jesus Christ attested for you, delivered for you, crucified by you, raised to free you. He is raised. He defeats death. Here, here are some of the words we sung today already, okay? Look at this. Here are the words that we sung that Jesus Christ conquered death. Death could not hold you. Right out of verse 24 from our text today. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. We sang this also today. Our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced. Darkness started to celebrate. But every great narrative, every great narrative is born from the Easter narrative. It's the ultimate underdog story. I love underdog stories because of the gospel. It's the gospel. Just when you think it's over. And darkness rejoiced that heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death, I love this line, death was arrested. Death was defeated. Death was stopped. And my life began. And this one as well. We sang this. Then on the third at break of dawn, the son of heaven rose again. See? Oh, trampled death, where is your sting? 1 Corinthians 15. Where's your sting? Where's your victory? You no longer have victory over me because I belong to Jesus Christ. The angels roar for Christ the King. And one we sang, or we're going to sing in a couple of minutes, is this. The grave could not contain the power of his name. Death you overcame once and for all. The number one fear of humans is death. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ... For the forgiveness of your sins. You are inviting the Holy Spirit of God to make you a new creation. You become a child of God. You are adopted into the family of God, which means you will never, ever die. Jesus Christ is your Lord and King. You now belong to Him. And because He has defeated death and He now lives in you, then you also have defeated death. And death is no longer anything to fear ever again because the moment you actually physically die is the moment you perfectly begin to live with Jesus Christ forever and ever. This is the gospel story. This Jesus at the center, attested, delivered, crucified, raised for you. Question, do you have this Jesus? Say, how? Believe. Believe he's the savior of your sins. Believe he's the king of glory. And he desires to cause you to live and never die. Let's pray. Father, I do pray this Easter you are causing people to live forever and giving them eyes of faith. Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, what is so abundantly clear in your word, the the majesty of the clarity of this text. I pray we would understand, O Lord, death is nothing to fear when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. O Lord, may you speak now. May you get glory. May you save lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.